Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. What you're going to see in the text today is Abraham rescuing Lot. And um, we're going to focus on two parts of this, so I'm going to break it in two because there's a lot of information there, especially on the second part. But... um, what you're going to realize is that Lot gets himself in trouble and he gets in the middle of a war and Abraham's outside of the whole thing and Abraham decides to that it's his responsibility to go in there and rescue Lot uh, from being taken captive. And just reflecting on that this week and I was studying it, I start realizing that's why we're still here. Uh, a lot of people ask me, Brandon, I, I just can't believe we're still here, that the Lord hasn't raptured us and taken us home, because I don't know how else, how worse could, it could possibly get. Um, but the, the thing is, we still have our mission to do, we still have a job to do, and so we can't throw in the town, surrender, and just say, well, it's all going to Hades in a handbasket, so I'm done. Um, you still can't do that. And what you're going to see with Abraham is he could have easily taken that attitude about Lot and what happened and the mess he got himself in and could have easily said, you know what, Lot, you deserve this. You know what, Lot, that uh, you're paying the price. These are the consequences of your sin. This is what you, this is the bed that you made. Now you need to lie in it. He could have easily done that. And most people do. Um, But it came to a situation where Abraham understands what his mission is. His mission is to rescue people uh, and lots of believer and to rescue the believer as well. What I'll show you today is that not only is the world going crazy, but believers are going crazy. And I'm sitting talking to believers that are just out of their minds, thinking that all this is fine. The transgender thing is fine. The drag queen things are fine. And you're like, man, I don't know what's wrong with you, man. You claim to know Jesus. You say you were saved. And now you have just become Laodicea. I, I really... I'm struggling with that. But what you're going to see with Abraham is he has the biblical attitude, the right attitude of you don't stop fighting. You keep going for it because there's people to rescue that need rescuing, whether that's an unbeliever or a believer. Now, here's the thing. You're going to see a lot of this. We're on our rescue mission, but some people don't want to be found. And you're going to realize that. They don't want to be found, but that's not my concern. That's not your concern. Your and my concern is, am I doing what I need to do to complete my mission, to reach the lost and disciple uh, believers back to the Lord? So you're going to see this. And so this is a good message for all of us that are dealing with the evil in our world, that you're here for a reason and we're not done with our responsibility. Now, you're going to see that a war breaks out. This is actually the first war in the Bible in this passage. And it's a, it kind of um, points to the end, to the, to the last days, that there, you know, that there will be a final battle. We call that the campaign of Armageddon. But war starts immediately in the Bible. It doesn't take very long to... to for people to descend into war. And so this is a war, and then Lot gets caught up into it. So I'm going to read you the names of the players. Um, and, you know, you don't have to get too deep into that. It's just trying to tell you where they come from. There's five kings against four. These five kings come from the Babylonian area, you know, where the purple and kind of reddish and uh, orangish colors are in the Fertile Crescent. They're kind of come down and attack... Um, I'm sorry, four kings. Four kings come and attack five kings in the Sodom and Gomorrah era, area by the Dead Sea. So this is what it says. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Shinar is Babylonia, okay? So Babylon's always involved in these wars all the way to the end. Like, like I said, it points forward to the, the battle of Armageddon, which includes Babylonia as well, which would be the capital of the Antichrist. Arioch, king of Elassar, uh, Kedor Omer, king of Elam. Elam is Persia, by the way. Elam is Persia. Um, that's the old way of saying Persia. 
but this guy, Kedor La Omer, is the, the ringleader of all of this, okay? And title kings of nations. If they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, uh, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, king of Admah, Shemember, king of Zeboim, and king of Bela, that is Zoar. So you can see on the map where these locations possibly are, are at, uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, Bela, they're all concentrated at the southern end of the, what we consider the Dead Sea today. But back then, remember, it was a fertile valley. It was a well-watered plain, so it didn't look like it did today. All of these joined together in the Valley of Sedim. So at the bottom of your map, you see where there's like a red arrow and then it says Sedim. That's where the battle ensued there and it was a great valley there. Um, that is the Salt Sea. So by the time Moses writes this, obviously it's, it's turned into the Dead Sea, right? The Salt Sea. 12 years they served uh, Kedorla Omer. So they were under, there were vassals under this king and in the 13th year, they rebelled. So at, at some point, they just said, I'm done paying taxes. I'm done paying tribute to uh, this king in Babylonia. We want our own freedom. So um, it's a typical Ukraine, Russia, you know, NATO type of America situation. They're battling over control. It's typical, okay? So that's what's happening. And we call this the Battle of Sedim. And it's the first battle of the Bible. And it occurs right here. Okay. So here's what happens. In the 14th year of Kedor la Omer, the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtarah Karnaim. Now, the Rephaim, by the way, are a hybrid clan. Uh, the Rephaim are in the, in the area of, uh, of uh, northern Israel by Dan on the eastern side. This is where Mount Hermon is. And why do I make a reference to that? What's that? That's important because Mount Hermon is where the, angel, the fallen angels decided to cohabitate with women in Genesis 6 and make that decision on Mount Hermon. And so the area of Og, uh, uh, Bashan, all that stuff, highly demonic activity. Uh, this is where a lot of the Nephilim are. And the Rephaim are another clan of Nephilim. They're hybrids, okay? Uh, giant clans. Um, anyway, <clears throat> and the Tak Rephaim, and the Zazim and Ham, uh, Amim in Zaveh, Kirathaim, and the Horites in the mountain of Seir. That's the mountains of Seir where Petra is today. As far as El Paran, El Paran goes all the way down to the Sea of Elat, or the a location of Elat by the Red Sea, uh, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came into Mishvat, that is Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, and attacked all the country and the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt on Hazazon Tamar. Okay, so it tells you all the players involved and, who's in, and what's going on. So what we're going to look at is what happens to Lot, okay? And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adama, Adama, the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the Valley of Sedim. So you see where the Valley of Sedim there is on your map? It's on the southern end of the Dead Sea. But it, again, it wasn't the Dead Sea. It was a fertile crescent. This was called the Vale or the Valley of Sedim. Okay? And they went out and joined together in battle uh, against uh, Kedor la Omer, king of Elam, title kings of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar, Four kings against five. Okay, got it. Now, that's all that. So if you, you don't just chalk that up, if you, it doesn't matter what it, really the names are per se. It's just that the Babylonian Fertile Crescent kings are fighting the Sodom and Gomorrah kings in that. That's all you really need to understand about that. So that's the point it's trying to make. It's a real war. Uh, it happens uh, about, um, I think the last time is two, 2088... BC, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's the time of Abraham. Okay, so now the Valley of Sedim was full of asphalt pits. Well, I don't know why your English puts asphalt. There is no asphalt in the Hebrew. So I don't, 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 I don't get it. I don't know why they did that. It's just pits. Uh, Be'ar is, means just simply pits. There's pits. Now, why is that significant? So I'll show you in just a bit. And the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there and the remainder fled to the mountain. So they lose the battle. 
And some of the kings die there, and some of the other ones went to the mountains, which is in the Vale of Sedim. Now, here's the interesting thing about the pits that it, the Bible mentions. Um, when you go to the Dead Sea area, um, it's since like, I think, 1982, the, sea, the Dead Sea level uh, sunk to like really low. To today, it's very, very low. And what it revealed once it sunk down to those levels is that there's all kinds of pits everywhere in the area, sinkholes. And so if you go to the Dead Sea area, you'll see signs like this, beware sinkholes area ahead. And so there are these sinkholes everywhere on the exposed shores of where the water is no longer there anymore. Again, proving the Bible is right, that there were these pits there. And, and you can see them, and here's the, the, the pits, and they're all over the place. So again, this is a 2,000-year-old story, that, but the archaeology and the topography matches exactly what it says in the Bible. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. It's just amazing when you see this, right? Anyway, now we get to the meat of the story. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions, and they went their way. So you know, they, the, the kings of Babylonia won, so they're going to plunder. Okay, guess what? They also took Lot. Thank you very much. Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, of course, and his goods, and, and departed. So, so a part of the plunder is to take the people. And, that, and they would turn them into slaves, basically. So Lot, of course, living in Sodom at this point in time, as you saw, and we, we studied a, a lot, he gets taken in the plunder, all his goods and himself and his family. Okay, now, if you're Abraham, you could easily take the attitude to say, you know what, serves you right. You decided to move in there and you became one of them. You actually became the mayor or the city council member and uh, serves you right that um, you're now being taken as a slave and possibly gonna be killed because they usually kill the men and then keep the women and children as slaves. Okay, let me, ta- let me take a, a, a brief explanation of things. We talk about giving consequences for bad behavior, right? We talk about 1 Corinthians 5, and not even eating a meal with an immoral brother, okay? So there's, there's consequences and limitations we have to put on people that act bad, right? That are in full-blown sin, right? And we do that, but... That extends all the way until death, okay? And what I mean by death is death is the game changer, okay? Or severe illness. If someone's going to die, if someone's going to get severely injured or whatever they're doing, we need to go in there and stop it. That's not part of a consequence of like, well, we want them to die, Okay, I just want to put that out there because people will ask, well, how long do I go with the consequences? Well, they've had people, they've they've separated from and now they're in the hospital dying. And then they'll call me up and say, do I go see them? I said, yeah, of course you go see them. They're dying. Um, so death is the game changer on consequences, okay? I just want to put that out there. Or severe illness, okay? That can I go there? Yes, I, I would go there immediately. Um, so I, I, I just want to make sure I bracket that the right way. So in this case, Lot can lose his life. So Abraham's not going to let that happen. Even though Lot deserves this, Abraham's not going to let that happen, okay? And that would be the same for you and I. We're not going to let someone die because of the consequence. Someone's on drugs, someone's an addict, whatever. We don't want them to die, okay? So this prompts Abraham saying, okay, I got to go do something about this kid. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew. Now, is this interesting? This is the first time in, the, in Genesis, in the Bible, that it'll call Abraham the Hebrew. And that's where the term actually comes from, is right here, the Hebrew. Now, this is funny because Abraham hasn't had any kids. And Abraham is a Gentile. Um, and so he's not necessarily, he's both. He's a, the first Jew, but he's also a Gentile. That's how Abraham could be the father of many nations, Jews and Gentiles. Um, what does Hebrew mean? It's, it, it, Hebrew means in, um, it starts with an I, not an H in Hebrew, Hebrew. And what does it mean? It means crossover. So the word Hebrew means to cross over. 
And the idea is that Abraham has crossed over from death to life. He's crossed over from Babylon to the promised land. It's a crossing over. That's what Hebrew means. You cross over from not knowing God to knowing God. Okay, we would call that being saved. So Hebrew means the crossover, the come over to the right side. Anyway, um, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abraham. Now, this is interesting what it's pointing out. Notice the difference between Abraham and Lot. Where is Lot? Sodom. Where is Abraham? Outside of those cities. He's in the promised land, but he refuses to go into Sodom and Gomorrah and live amongst them. He will separate himself out and live in a tent. And if he has to live in a tent, so be it. I'd rather live in a tent than live in Sodom. And that's Abraham's mentality. And what you have to see this is he's willing to separate from the world and not partake in the worldly uh, desires that Lot has in order to stay um, righteous and not get, not get um, perverted by the, uh, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, at some, at some point when we look at Lot, they got onto Lot because he was simply, he never said anything that was wrong about what the Sodomites and the Gomorrahites were doing. He just stayed silent and that's how he becomes on the city council and the mayor. So you can see that there was compromise involved in Lot's life. Abraham refuses to compromise. And that's the contrast you're trying to, you're trying to see here. Okay, so he dwelt outside of it. So here's the prerequisite. If you and I are on a rescue mission, and the reason we're still here amongst all this evil, the, the reason we have to go into Sodom and Gomorrah, the reason we have to go into a battle, well, the first thing that's a prerequisite, you have to live separated lives. If you were like Lot, you can't rescue Lot because you would be taken too. You have to live a separate life from the world system. Now we're here, we're in the world, but we can't be a part of this world system. Well, what does that mean? That means I don't approve of what the morality of the world is. I don't participate it. I don't approve of that. I resist that with truth, right? So that's how you do the search and rescue. You can't do a search and rescue if you're just as messed up as Lot is. Okay, does that make sense? Someone is messed up as Lot's not going to be searching for another Lot because they're caught up all in this. So here's what we're starting to find out. Because so many Christians do not live a separated life, they're ineffectual for reaching not only the lost, but ineffectual for bringing back believers back into the fold who have went astray. And that's been the problem. Because you know what they say, that what, that's the same thing they said to Lot. Who are you to say anything? You do the same things we do. You act the same way we act. You behave the same way we behave. You have the same attitudes as us. Who are you to say, I need help? See, you lose credibility. That's what's happened to the American church is the American church has lost credibility with the world because we look just like them. And it's all under the guise of we're going evangelizing them. We're evangelizing them. And at the same time, they had all these demonic activities on Easter Sunday in churches trying to reach the demonic world through demonic practices. I'll show you in just a bit. So we got to live separated lives in order to be on this rescue mission. Believers and unbelievers. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. Look what happens here. Now, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as dad. Now, a couple things here. First of all, this shows you how big Abraham's family has become now, that he has 318 males in his camp that can actually fight, okay? 318. Here's what I want you to notice. They're trained. Did you see that? They're trained. Now, what does that go through in helping us understand Abraham? Now, we obviously know that Abraham trusts God, man of faith. 
But Abraham is also wise too. Okay, so there's an element in our search and rescue that you have to be wise. Abraham, in his wisdom, is saying, I know God will protect me, but I better prepare my guys for a war. Because eventually, at some point, we're going to get attacked. So it says trained. It didn't say they learned on the job. No, it doesn't say that, right? It says that he had trained him prior to this. They were past tense. So that meant at some point, Abraham says, okay, boys, here's how we throw a spear. Okay, boys, here's how we shoot an arrow. Here's some military tactics that I have learned. And he trained them to fight. So what does that tell you about Abraham? There's a trust in God, but there's also wisdom. And here's the thing about you and I. We better be trained to fight in this spiritual war that we're in. If you are not trained, they will tie you up in a theological pretzel you will never get out of. And too many people go into this fight untrained and they get smoked because they don't know what they're doing. And then they encounter demonic activity and they get smoked because they don't know what they're doing. And they're getting into subjects that they don't know how to argue, that they don't know how to deal with, and they get smoked. So my thing about this is, is as you're seeing from Abraham, if you're gonna go into this battle and we all need to be in this spiritual battle, you better be trained. What does that mean? I better know the word of God backwards and forwards because when Matthew Vines tells me that, oh, homosexuality is wrapped around idolatry and that's why it was forbidden in 1 Corinthians, and, but it's not now as long as there's love and a monogamous. Do you buy that? No, because you now understand what that text means and you can say, you're lying. You're taking that out of context. Or when they say that, well, God is neither female or male, he's a spirit. What would you say to that? No, the Bible tells me he's a male. Jesus is a male, the Holy Spirit is a he. You would know that, right? But apparently most Christians don't know this anymore and they can't argue it. They're not ready for the battle. Or now saying that abortion's okay uh, because this is gonna cost the lady all of this money, it's gonna damage her life, and it's gonna, we, we wanna get her a fair shot, so it's okay to kill a baby. No, right? No, that's not a good enough reason to murder a baby in the womb. But most Christians now are following on the other side. Yeah, you're right, I guess. That dude Warnock, in Georgia, that one over Herschel Walker, that's what that guy believes. And yet there's people that go to his church and listen to him every day. How come they don't have enough sense to say, dude, you're totally wrong. So number one, first principle is, we gotta get into the fight. Okay, that's why we're here. We're not here to put on the white sheet and wait and sit back on our laurels, on the spiritual couch. You've got to get involved, okay? Why don't people get involved? Number one, they're passive. They don't care, really. Well, it, let it all go to Hades in a handbag. You can't have that attitude. People take delight. Well, let them, let them, let them suffer. This is what the, the bed they made, let them suffer. Abraham didn't take that attitude, did he? He could have said, Lot, let him suffer. He made, that, he made that decision. No. That's someone else's problem. It's not my problem. This is the funny thing is people don't usually get involved until it becomes their problem. But the problem is, once it starts over here, it eventually will get to you. You have to get ahead of it. Well, I don't want to bring trouble to myself, Brandon. I just want to live a nice, quiet life. Really, Christ led you to live a quiet life. That's a, a different Jesus than I know. The Jesus that I know takes me on journeys. He takes me where it's, there's risk. He takes me where there's danger sometimes. I don't know what Jesus you're following. C.S. Lewis even knew this when they were talking about Aslan, the, 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 the figure of, of Jesus in the, the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and, and in the discussion about him, Mr. Tumnus says, you mustn't hold on to him. You know he's not a tamed lion. No, but he's good. But the idea that C.S. Lewis was trying to capture is Jesus is good but don't think you can control him. He will take you to places that are sometimes dangerous. 
And you have to be okay with it. Abraham's going to risk his life going to rescue Lot. And look what's happening. This is the fight before us. Why is no one asking why the left is fighting so hard to keep porn on the shelves of our children's school libraries? How come no one's asking that? How come there's no parental groups asking these school libraries, why do you have porno for our children? This is the fight we're in and no one's fighting. West Coast, whether it's Washington, Oregon, California, states uh, are telling parents there are children now. Oh, really? Is that the attitude to public schools? We're going to fight about that? You, you better believe we'll fight against that. Our kids are our kids, not the schools. Better get ready for that fight. Look at this lady fighting. Heartbroken mom wants her school district to change its transgender policy after her daughter was transitioned without her knowledge. How can that happen? Oh, it's happening at Kern High School District. That's what we talked about to them. Then some big dude dressed in a, called, uh, named Squeaky St. Francis argues against her, and this is really happening at the board. Who is Squeaky uh, St. Francis? Trans activist hails Chico's decision. This is Chico, up in Chico. Keep parental secrecy policy. A parental secrecy policy in the public schools. You understand what they're doing. You understand the war. They're going after our kids. You can't let that happen. We can't. Lego store. Father confronts Lego clerks for pushing LGBT propaganda on little children. Listen. The Lego group supports what? Yeah. The Lego group supports LGBTQ community. Yeah. But the question is, why are you all in here with those pins on? Do you think children care about... Man. Do you think they care about it's that? It's time to leave, man. Do, I mean, do, do you think they care? I don't think they think about that, personally. Right, they so why would they, so, so, they think about it when they see your pants? No, they don't. It's time to leave. Yes, they do. It's time it's to leave, disgusting. guys. I'm going to call security. That's called grooming. Right. Did you all mind leaving? Yeah, if you call security, tell security that you're, that you're in here wearing a pride flag Absolutely. We will on, let your, you on know. your shirt. Come on, guys. It's time to leave. Well, you know what's amazing? Most children don't know. He's been educated by me. I think this grooming is borderline pedophilia and child abuse for these weirdos to come in here and wear that and at the same time kids buy from the store. When does it stop? I'm sick and tired. Yeah, but I came in here to buy something. When does it stop? At some point, we need to stop pushing this mess on children. At this point, we're just going to have to ask you to leave. I'll leave. And I won't spend any money at Lego. If you're in here right now, if you're in here right now and you care about value, this store is intentionally promoting LGBTQ behavior on children. Sir, you're, you're... Spend your money in a place that doesn't do that to kids. Sir, you're about to get trespassed. Thank you. At what point, and he's right, at what point as parents do we say, you're not going to push this on my children? You're not... At what point do we say, enough, I'm tired of it? Okay? Because... You know why they're going after children, don't you? Okay. Why is Bud Light doing this? Why is Oil of Olay? Why is Nike? Why is all the many, many companies now saying, hey, man, we're going to have Dylan Mulvaney as our spokesman? This guy is a joke. He is not someone suffering with gender dysphoria. He's mocking women. Is what Dylan Mulvaney is doing, and he's getting a lot of money for it. Why are advertisers doing this? Pushing this agenda, this transgender agenda. What do you think it's for? I'm telling you, it's a gateway to pedophilia. That's where it's going. Pride Night, coming to Disneyland for the first time in June. Event celebrates the LGBTQIA plus community and allies. Well, we already know where Disney stands on a lot of this. But why are they pushing it on kids? You have to know that. Why are they pushing it on kids? See, we first said, we'll allow gay marriage because that's consenting adults or whatever, and and the Supreme Court allowed it. But do you understand where Pandora's box went? It went from gay marriage to pushing pedophilia. Okay? It didn't stay in the box. And now it's over here. 
This is the fight we're in. This is a very evil fight for children. So we must continue the research and rescue mission for the lost and the Laodicean believers. Number one, we have to reach out to these lost people who are caught up in these lifestyles because Jesus wants to rescue them, okay? At the same time, you have to go after the Laodiceans as well because the Laodiceans are buying right into this, thinking this is nice, this is loving, this is compassionate, this is kind. No, it's called pedophilia. It's called grooming, and it needs to stop. So you have to go back to both groups, the lost and Laodicea. You cannot take the attitude, let them all go to Hades. They deserve Hades. So do you and I. I deserve Hades. But that's why we're here. And will they listen to you? Some will, some won't. The majority probably won't listen to you. The majority of the Laodiceans won't listen to you. They're too far gone. I get it, but that's not my job. My job is to keep reaching out, telling the truth, telling them how to escape through Jesus Christ. And the church is not helping you and I, by the way. Look what the church does. On Easter Sunday, church crucifies Disney character Belle from Beauty and the Beast for Easter performance. That doesn't help the cause. That's them joining the other side. Tolerance, passivity, complacency. What is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? What is that? Because they mess it up. They think passivity, complacency, and tolerance is what wins people over to Christ. That's wrong. What is the kindness that Paul was talking about? It is his grace and mercy and the offer of salvation that is free through Jesus Christ. That is the kindness that leads to repentance. It's not tolerating lifestyles. Okay? It's not complacency. It's not Christians sitting on their hands and doing nothing. The kindness of God is reflected in the gospel is what Paul's point in Romans is. The kindness that he wouldn't even offer salvation to us through his son. Look at last Easter, woman crucified on stage during Easter morning service at Mike Todd's Transformational Church. They're not helping us. They're part of the problem. Michigan pastor says he witnessed the resurrection when Governor Whitmer repealed anti-abortion law. What? What? Brethren, talking to you and me, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, like Abraham, mature, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, uh, lest you also be tempted by basically the same sin they're doing. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does this mean? We are responsible and have an obligation that if we see a believer taken in a trespass, as we are, are obligated to restore them back. Now, that doesn't mean that they will be restored. It just means I am responsible. Now, if they don't want to come back, they don't want to come back. But I'm responsible for initiating, come back, come back. And I'm also responsible because of the Great Commission of reaching the lost, come back home, come back home. I have to do that. I cannot take a Jonah attitude about this. And it's real easy to do. I struggle with it. Because you remember Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. I'm not preaching to them. Forget them, they're our enemies, right? Remember that, the Jonah attitude? Be careful, because the Jonah attitude is the temptation that Satan is putting in front of us. Yeah, they're all going to Hades and handbags, they're ruining their life. Just let them go to their own devices. But you can't. Brethren, if, uh, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns them back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What does it save a soul from death? He's talking about physical death in this, pitch, in this passage. Physical death. That sin leads to death, right? The wages of sin is death. So, our job is to turn them back, to help them turn back. Can't give up on them, but we still have to t tell the truth. So if we're going go to go, uh, if we are going to participate in this whole search and rescue thing, 
you have to be trained. You have to be trained. You have to know the arguments, okay? The, 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 the argument of turn and burn is not gonna work, okay? You're gonna have to get a little bit more sophisticated in your argumentation, which means you better know what they're arguing about and why they're arguing and what is their motive behind the argumentation in order to effectively contend for the faith. The problem is, if you don't know the scriptures very well, you will not be able to contend for the faith. You will not be able to give an answer and a reason for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and with respect if you don't know scripture. And we're at an all-time high of biblical ignorance. All-time high. It is, and the stats prove this. So when you have an ignorance of the Bible, you can't contend. You can't give an answer and a reason for the hope that you have. Now, it's not just simply also knowing the Bible. You better know what's currently going on. And this is where Christians really fail at this too. They don't know what's currently happening around them in the society. Look at the new things that are happening. Mad scientists are now experimenting with mRNA injections in beef, poultry, pork, and produce, food-supplied bioweapons. They're going to put it in the foods, man. They're putting it in the meat, the mRNA. That's why we're at Rock Harbor, we're connected to some guy that has beef in Montana that doesn't do that with his beef. We're going to have to now figure out who doesn't inject animals with this mRNA stuff. Because they're trying to kill us, I think. I don't know what else to think about this. G7, what are they up to this week? Oh, we're just going to discuss digital currency standards, crypto regulations. <laughs> what, uh, let me explain this. We're going to digital currency, and any crypto that's out there that competes with the digital currency, we're going to eliminate. That's what they're saying, the G7. You know that. Let me give you an example of Christians not knowing how to answer this. Dave Ramsey, financial guru, was asked a question, what about the digital currency? What about the economic implosion that seems to be looming on the horizon? He had no answer. No answer. And do you know why? Because he doesn't know any of it. He hasn't pay, been paying attention. I heard him on the program. He couldn't answer. And the guy had a legitimate question. Hey, Dave Ramsey, how do you not know about a digital currency? How do you not know that they're bringing the ESG and the green agenda to destroy our economy? How do you not know that? Because you're checked out. That's why. You're not paying attention to what's on the ground. For goodness sakes, a Mormon Glenn Beck knows more than Dave Ramsey. How does that happen? You're checked out. Christians are checking out. They're not even paying attention to the news anymore. IMF unveils Unicoin, global CBDC. How come Dave Ramsey doesn't know this? Now watch this. He divided his forces against them by night. It's pretty smart because he only has 318. And he, and he and his servants attacked them, pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So you see where Damascus is. A couple of things I want to point out about this. Abraham's pretty smart. He's a sharp cookie. We don't, we don't typically think of Abraham as a military guy, but he is pretty smart militarily. Okay, the first thing I want to point out is where he's willing to go. He's going to, you see where Damascus, you see where Mamre is on the map? He's going to go, and they're at Damascus, or Hobah, past Damascus. So Abraham's going to travel up there to rescue Lot. And what is that a picture of? It's going the second mile, okay? Jesus said to, to all of us, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Well, what did that mean in context? Well, in the first century, a Roman legally could ask a Jewish citizen to carry his gear for at least a mile, okay? And you couldn't refuse, so Jesus says, you know what? Not just carry the, the, the baggage one mile, carry it two miles for him. Go the extra mile. Now we use that in common language today, go the extra mile, which means give it your best shot. Give it 100%. Be willing to sacrifice. And so in this, Abraham is willing to risk his own life 
to go rescue Lot. And this is part of the battle. You must be willing to risk when you're in the battle that it could harm you. It could affect you. You could get a blowback. You could get people that don't like you. And I got a whole host of them. A lot of them are online. And that's part of the game, isn't it? You must be willing to risk. And that's what he's doing. And that's part of going the second mile. So wisdom, though, but notice what he does. He attacks them at night and he splits his army. Well, if you have less numbers, and probably they have thousands, and he only has 300, you're not gonna face them straight up in a daytime, army to army. You're gonna lose. So what does Abraham do? A little guerrilla warfare. We're gonna attack them at night. I'm gonna split the army, and we're gonna flank them on each side. Pretty smart, pretty sharp. But what, what is that? It's wisdom. You will need wisdom in this fight. And what is wisdom? It's the application of truth. Okay, so first of all, you need to know the truth, okay? But it's the application of truth at the right time, in the right amount, to the right person, and with the right methodology. That's wisdom. This is why wisdom is very difficult. So if you know the truth, sometimes it's not the best thing to do, just blurt it out, okay? Because if you blurt it out at the wrong person at the wrong time, it will cut them in two. It will slice and dice them. And also, if you give truth to those who don't want it, you're casting pearls before swine, right? So there's a whole wisdom element in how you give truth out to unbelievers and even Laodicea. So you gotta be really smart about this. Give information to those who want it. Okay, don't keep pushing the issue and understand how to do grace and truth in wisdom. It's a whole thing, but Abraham knows how to do this and it's seen as military tactics. He's wise. Now, here's the thing. Listen to this conversation with Elon Musk from a BBC reporter. This BBC reporter got into something with a guy with an IQ of like 175, okay? And I want to show you the lack of wisdom, but the wisdom on Elon Musk's part. Watch this. This is about hate speech on Twitter. And Content you don't like or, or hateful? What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a, a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of, those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is that I'm what you're saying? Not, I'm not saying anything. I'm saying. Well, I'm just curious. What you, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you mean by hateful con content, and I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and if, and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me. You've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more. It, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's what I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. Use, I, I, honestly, I you don't can't use, name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I, I just don't particularly like it. But you said actually, a lot of people. A lot of people are quite similar. I, I, I only. Well, I only look well, at hang my, on a second. You said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I, well, I, then how did you I, see the hateful content? content? Because I've been, I've been using, I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and, and I, you can't I, give a single I, one. And, and, and I'm saying, I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I could just lied. What? No. Yeah. Amen. He just lied. But here's the thing, you know, I, I appreciate Elon Musk putting that guy in his place, but why aren't the pastors doing it? Why is it, it coming from Elon Musk and not the church? You see what's going on here? We're having Elon Musk fight our battles about, you know, First Amendment rights and, and the, the ability to, to, to free speech. The church is silent. He's got wisdom. They, that guy tangled with, he had a tiger by the tail, by the way, and he didn't realize it. But that's the way you have to be. They, once they start messing with you, 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 you got to know how to argue. And that once they realize they have, they have you 
that they have a tiger that they're holding on to, then you can do the same thing. That's called contending for the faith. And look at this, Elon Musk, anyone who sterilizes a child with, an attempt, with attempted sex change should go to prison for life. Amen. But the, he's not a pastor. He's not a church. He's Elon Musk. He says no God, but yet this guy is saying things that the churches should be saying, and the churches are deaf. They're silent. They're not saying anything. Now watch this. This is going to blow you away. It's going to disappoint you. So he brought back all the goods and brought back his brother. Well, it's using brother in a more general sense, but it's his nephew, Lot, and his goods, as well as the women and the people. So not only did Abraham go in there and get Lot out of there and get Lot's uh, uh, goods, he also freed the Sodom and Gomorrah people as well and, and brought back their goods too. It was a total military route. So I want you to think about this, how God used it. 318, probably against 30, 40, 50,000 people from the, the area, and Abraham routes them, obviously through God's power, okay? But notice he brought everybody back, and notice it says, and, and see at the end where it says, and the people? And, the, and, and look, look what it says. And the people thanked Abraham for setting them free. And Lot got on his knees and thanked Abraham and repented of living in Sodom and Gomorrah and said, Abraham, Father Abraham, you were right. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so stupid. Thank you so much. I'm an idiot. Does it say that? No, because he frees them and Lot and the rest of the Sodomites and Gomorrahites are ungrateful. There's no thanking Abraham anything you bunch of ingrates you all were going to die you women were going to be sold into slavery and probably uh, uh, part of uh, these men that you never met your children would have been sold in slavery hey man just a little thanks would have been nice crickets crickets what yeah get used to it Get very used to it. So here's the thing. You and I must act on biblical principles, biblical values, biblical morals, not results, and never based on anyone's gratitude. You can't operate if you're operating on results. Because I can tell you this. We're going to go do the search and rescue, and the results are going to be minimal. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You're going to get onesies and twosies, but you're not going to see thousands of people come to the Lord. It's, you're at the end game. Do we still do it? Yes, but don't expect the results. Second, don't expect, especially from Laodiceans, any gratitude for what you have done for them. The hours that you spend helping Laodicea will be ignored by them. They will eventually leave you after you've helped them, Okay? And you must get used to this because your thanks doesn't come from them. Who does your thanks come from? God. If you are doing ministry because you want something back from people, you are in the wrong game. You do it for Jesus, not for the people. That's why you're doing it. We are our brother's keeper. We do have a responsibility towards humanity, towards our lost brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are to own it. Just like Riley Gaines is doing. What is she doing? She is now going from campus to campus telling people that having males compete in female sports is destroying the female sports. And she's going to campus and campus. And what do you think the campuses? due to her when she's there saying this whole transgender thing is wrong. You're destroying women's rights. Oh, they mob her. Thank <laughs> you. 
That's what you get. You willing to pay that price? Riley Gaines is paying the price for the truth. That's what comes with it from this world. Are you willing to face that to get the truth out that you may win one, that you may win two, that you may return a lost brother back? See, that's what you have to deal with if you're going on the search and rescue. And let me add one more thing before we, we, we close. God the Father is calling us to be watchers on the wall. We are to alert. We are to warn. We are to tell the truth. We are the ones watching the evil come to society. And he says in Ezekiel 33, I have called you to be a watcher. And by the way, it's a New Testament. Paul picks it up in Acts 20 and uses it for us too. So it doesn't just apply to the Old Testament. It applies to the New I've called you to be a watcher on the wall, God says. Ezekiel 33. If you sound the alarm and they don't listen to you, their blood will be on their heads. But if you refuse to sound the alarm, then their blood I will account to you because you are your brother's keeper. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Abraham rescuing Lot. We understand that we're in this battle. We got to sacrifice like Abraham, go into the battle, fight, and rescue as many people as possible out of this crazy, crazy world. We have to have that mentality. We have to not have a Jonah. Help us not have that Jonah attitude because every day, we see this evil, we just wanna pull back and move away and not do our job, Father, but help us to stay engaged, that we need to contend, we need to know the scriptures, we need to know what's going on so we can effectively minister to people and rescue. Rescue our brothers and sisters from Laodicea, apostasy, and rescue those who don't know you. Give us the strength to carry on like Abraham did. And I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, they would come to faith in him today, understanding he died on a cross for their sins, was buried, rose on the third day, and gives everlasting life to anyone who will believe. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.